Today we're going to be talking about neighbors. There's a guy, his name was Dwight Bettner. He was a good neighbor by all accounts. He was a 53-year-old man and he lived next, next to a 92-year-old widow and he would help her out with things around the house. In fact, on one occasion, he actually drove her to a nearby town so that she could get a part that she needed for her stove. And on the way back, they stopped for a bite to eat. And she offered to pay, and she did. And just as a little thank you, he just gave her a little peck on the cheek. He thought it was innocent, friendly enough. But apparently, she thought there was more to it. And so she started coming over to his house on a regular basis, inviting him to go out to dinner or offering to cook for him. And when she found out that he had a girlfriend, she came over and tried to strangle her. Things just continued to escalate. She uh, continued to come over, and on one occasion when she came over, she insisted that he would give her a kiss. And when he refused, she stormed off, as much as a 92-year-old can storm, I guess. But she went home, and she returned almost immediately toting a semi-automatic handgun that she used to shoot up his house and his car. <laughs> the police came out. She was arrested. She, she got booked, and you can see her mugshot on the Internet if you go and look for it. It's Helen's mugshot, and they arrested her. They put her in the county jail, and I think it's probably safe to say that in the prison population that night, she was the only great-great-grandmother. But uh, neighboring is an interesting thing, to be sure. Now, hopefully in our neighbor relationships, they don't end with shots being fired. But the fact of the matter is, even if no, no guns are being fired and unloaded. The fact is there are still great complications that come along with living next to other people. Now, it might have to do with lawns that are too long and you get irritated with that, or maybe yours is the one that's too long and you're irritated with a guy who mows it twice a week. Or maybe it's got to do with noise that's too loud or other problems. And if, if the people would keep their own issues kind of inside their own house, that'd be one thing and you can kind of get along with them because it's not in your face. But when it's in your face day in and day out, it can just compound the problem and, and you have to see it and you have to experience it over and over again. And those are some of the things that make the situation bad, but what makes them complicated is that you you have to live there, right? You can't say, well, I'm just going to not come to this neighborhood as often anymore. You, you live there. You have to come back day after day. And when you keep driving into the neighborhood and you keep seeing the same thing over and over again, it just can get under your, under your skin. It can make your blood boil and you just sort of feel like grabbing a handgun and, and shooting up the neighbor's house. Now, hopefully we can respond in better ways. And there are better ways to respond than shooting up the neighbor's house. I mean, like throwing eggs at the house or something. I mean, that's also very satisfying, and it doesn't carry nearly as, long, nearly as long jail time when you get caught doing that. It can be complicated, to be sure. And another reason that the relationship that we have gets complicated is because we really don't know how to confront. We're typically not very good at confronting. One, we don't like confrontation. We don't like conflict, so we're a little bit against that to begin with. And, and we don't want to go and sort of just completely ruin the relationship that we have with that person by confronting them. We're afraid of that, but we don't want to just let things continue on the way that they've been. And so we know we've got to say something. But it can be a very touchy thing because it's easy to confront in a way that just makes matters worse. 
You don't want to be the person who posts this note on their neighbor's door, an actual note that was posted. said, Dear friend, stop practicing your flute with your windows open. You have no talent, so give the neighbors a break. If not, we're going to break your hands. All right, I don't think that that was probably the best way to respond to that, but sometimes... In our frustration, when things just continue to build up and our blood starts boiling, we might fire off something that we're going to wish that we hadn't. It gets complicated because it's their house. They can do what they want there in that house. Another reason that it gets complicated isn't because of the need to make a confrontation, but because we don't know how to befriend. I think most of us want to be friends with our neighbors. I think most of us want to have a good relationship back and forth with them, but but we're not very good at reaching out. We're not very good at initiating relationships. And we're afraid maybe that if we do go ahead and take the risk and step out and get a little vulnerable that maybe we're going to get rejected. Or maybe we're just going to be dismissed. And so what you probably have is one person who's afraid to reach out to another person who wants to be reached out to. And so you're both lonely when both of you want the relationship. You're just afraid of of what might happen and it gets complicated because we don't know how to establish that sort of relationship whatever the source of the complication we're experiencing there with our neighbors I do believe that there is a way forward I believe that there's something some things that we can do to uncomplicate relationships that so easily can be complicated and some of us today are here with a relationship that's been broken with somebody who lives near to us and I believe we can even reverse that and start to move it in a new direction. You've come to experience firsthand that these things can get complicated. So I think there are some principles that we can look at, and even as we get jumping into this, I think it's important to acknowledge that in part we're talking, yes, about geographic neighbors, ones who live in houses that are near our house. But we're also talking today about people who just live in proximity to us in the way that we live our lives, maybe in the workplace or in other environments, and incorporates all of those things as we think about what it means to be a neighbor. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons that our relationships with neighbors get so complicated is because we have this increasing proclivity to live isolated existences, that we like our own time we like our own freedom and our neighbors like their own time and they like their own freedom and so we figure well if they like their freedom as much as I like my freedom then they don't want me bothering them and I don't want them bothering me and so we just live in isolation and there's been a lot that's been written about this now sure we're we're good we drive down the road and we're sure to wave to them as we go by with a nice friendly wave or we say hi to them when we pass them in the hall but a lot has been written on the subject of increasing isolation in America even in our neighborhoods where it's been said now that the pattern for most of us is that we pull into our driveway and we open the garage door by remote to our attached garage and we pull inside and then we close the garage door by remote and we go in the house and we never encounter anybody We're isolated. We live isolated lives, and that's a problem because when we do so, we're not going to be aware of what's going on in the lives of the people who surround us. So when the circumstances come up in their lives that are challenging, we're never going to know about it. We're we're going to miss out on the opportunity to being engaged with them in the most significant times in their experience, the times when they might need help the most when they could be blessed the most, and we're going to miss the opportunity to show mercy. We're going to miss the opportunity to reach out with the love of Jesus. And I believe that's a problem because I believe that we've been placed in proximity with other people 
to have an influence, to bring care, to bring love, to show mercy. In what is probably the most familiar of all of the parables that Jesus taught about, He taught on this very subject that we're talking about here today. Jesus told the parable in response to a question that was asked Him by an expert in the law. The teaching was out there and the expert had heard that we are supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. We call it the great commandment. And the expert in the law, in somewhat of a self-satisfied way, said, well, who is my neighbor? Because he believed that he was a great neighbor to other people. He waved when he went by. He said hello when he passed by them. Who is my neighbor? He thought that Jesus would probably pat him on the back, but he becomes quite surprised when he hears Jesus' response and Jesus goes into the parable, which is one that most of you are probably familiar with. It's about a man who was attacked and robbed and left by the side of the road half dead. And a priest comes by and ignores the guy in his needs. And the Levite comes by, who's also a religious guy, and he ignores his needs. It's only one person who comes by who actually attends to what is needed there in that situation. And, and we're amazed by it. And the people listening to Jesus' story would have been stunned by it because this person is a Samaritan. It's presumed that the person by the side of the road is an Israelite. And these two nations are at war with one another. They're at odds. This is a rival to the man, yet he is the one and the only one who reaches out in this situation. And as that just starts to sink in to this expert in the law, Jesus asks him a question, a very penetrating question. He asks this, which of these three do you think was a, what's the word, neighbor? He doesn't say, which is the nicest? Which guy did the right thing? He says, which of these was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? See, to be a biblical, na- uh, biblical neighbor is about more than being nice. It's about being engaged. It's about getting connected. It's about not just choosing isolation, but recognizing that we're here and in proximity to other people for a reason. Not just to be nice, but to be engaged and the man answers Jesus question the expert in the law replied the one who you know which one is the neighbor the one who had mercy on him Jesus told him go and do likewise the first of the key principles when it comes to being a neighbor these aren't all spelled out for you there with blanks on your outline but this is it the first of those principles is to show mercy This guy, this expert in the law, recognizes that that's a key principle to show mercy. That's the one who did the right thing, he says. Now, on the one hand, we need to applaud the Samaritan for being willing to do what the priest and the Levite were not willing to do. He becomes the hero of this story, and we celebrate him. And even today, we continue to call someone a good Samaritan who reaches out and does something on behalf of someone else. However, in God's design, the actions of the Samaritan, while they are cause for celebration, should really just be seen as an expectation. That's right. Not just for celebration, but this should be an expectation for us. See, ironically, the more that we put showing mercy in the category of that which is spectacular or that which is heroic, the more we justify ourselves not doing it. 
Because we know if something is heroic, if somebody does something heroic, we pat them on the back, we celebrate what they've done, but if they, didn't, if they wouldn't have done what was heroic, we still would have given them a pass. So put in the realm of being neighborly, we're actually giving ourselves a way to avoid actually engaging. If we look on it as being something that's way out of the ordinary, something that is so unusual that it's optional for us, but it's not optional. The writer in Hebrews says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Showing mercy is going to uncomplicate relationships, and here's why. Because it reveals the motives of the heart. It reveals what is really going on on the heart level. Others will see the real you. They will see you being willing to be vulnerable and pour yourself out there. You see, complicated relationships come when we're seeking to manipulate the perception of the other person about us. And that only makes sense. If I'm coming to you or I'm trying to get you to believe a certain perception about me and that isn't really who I am, then I'm trying to manipulate you. And wherever you're trying to manipulate another person in a relationship, it's going to be a complicated relationship. Because it's not real. Because it's not honest. Because it's not genuine. But when you're ready to actually reveal to others, this is who I am. And I care about you, and I want to reach out to you. I want to show you mercy. It's going to uncomplicate the relationship immediately because they'll be able to tell that you're offering who you really are to the relationship, not just who you want them to think that you are. As Jesus teaches about being neighborly, showing mercy is definitely at the core, but it doesn't stop there. And we shouldn't stop there either. After the Samaritan has bandaged up this guy's wounds, he goes online and bada book, bada boom, he books of a room for him. He takes him down to this hotel and he checks him in and he, and he gives the innkeeper the money that he's going to need for the room and as well as to care for any other needs that would come up for this guy. And this is amazing. It's a very generous move on his part because remember, this isn't a friend. This isn't a relative. He hasn't known him for a period of time. He just met him, and he's his rival. He's, this is a Samaritan. This guy is an Israelite. They're at odds with one another. Yet he cares for him, and it's very telling. He knows that in addition to showing mercy, a great neighbor will also be generous. He'll show mercy. He'll be generous, and this man is generous. The text says that he gave two denarii to this innkeeper denarii was basically a day's wage so translating that into today's dollars he drops on this stranger this rival four or five hundred dollars in today's dollars would you ever do that think about the generosity that's involved there this is a very generous move and that's what neighbors do they look for opportunities to bring blessing into the lives of other people you don't just want to be a taker you don't want to be this guy who left this note on his neighbor's door said dear neighbor did you guys move i can't get on your wi-fi anymore i hope you're okay love nick you don't just want to be the guy who mooches off of other people you should be generous with your resources and with your time and with your kindness carolyn's dad was a farmer 
And this time of year was always very, very intense for him because there was a very short window of time in which he had to get his crops out of the field. Those crops represented his entire income for the year. And if something went haywire and the crops wouldn't come out or they got damaged in some way, then there goes his annual income in one crop. And wouldn't you know it, one October he came down with an illness and landed in the hospital and couldn't get his crops out of his field. And as he lays there thinking about what is he going to do, he gets word that his neighbors got together and stopped their own harvest and brought their combines together over to his farm, and they harvested all of the crops. What do you think that did for the relationship that he had with those neighbors? It grew closer and closer, and he couldn't wait to reciprocate back to them generosity breeds generosity not that you just do that for a neighbor so that they'll be then in your debt I did this nice thing for you now I'm keeping score and make sure that's not why you do it you just do it because that's the right thing to do that's what we've been called to do that's what a good neighbor does he is generous and even if it's not reciprocated even if you don't really like that person that you become aware of the need that is present in their life You still seize the opportunity that's there. Remember that the Samaritan helps a man who is his rival. They didn't like one another. Not before this. But this is going to change the landscape. And you've got some people around you in your neighborhood, in your workplace, where where the landscape needs to be changed. You know that there's tension. You know that there's problems. You know that there are issues. And it would be good to turn the corner on that, to uncomplicate the complicated relationship. And I can tell you that showing mercy and being generous are going to do exactly that in that relationship. Speaking about people like us who have resources to pour into these sorts of things, Paul tells Timothy, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. It's a great theme verse for anybody who wants to be a good neighbor. might be something you'd want to take and put on a note card and put it on your desk, post it on your computer screen at work, just as a reminder. You're going to have the opportunity this week, I don't have any doubt whatsoever, to put this into practice. The only question is, will you? Will you put it into practice? And of course, implied in those two, to show mercy and to be generous is another one, which is to get involved. It almost seems too obvious to say, but we're going to say it because there are a couple important things here also to note. If you're looking for a reason to justify not getting involved in the lives of other people, I can tell you this from personal experience, you'll be able to find the excuse. I've found far too many excuses myself and opportunities that I could have used to jump in that I didn't do so. You'll find that excuse if you want. There are all sorts of them that we would use to justify. One might be looking at the neighbor and it's like, well, yeah, I I see that they have that need, but they've got grown kids who live just down the street or across town. They've got other siblings who live not far away. They ought to be the ones. They're the closest relatives. They should be doing it, not me. Or it might be that, well, I know what their need is, and I'm not sure that I've got the skills to speak into that particular need. Or even if I stepped out and offered to help them, they'd just, they'd just turn me down. I know that's what they'd do. 
There are all sorts of excuses. There are all sorts of reasons, all sorts of rationale that we take to give us reason not to get involved, not to get connected, not to care, and so on. There's all sorts of rationale to not be a neighbor, but just because you can think up a reason doesn't mean you should exercise it. Jesus' teaching here is to be believed. Apparently, he values it when people get generous toward neighbors, when they show mercy toward neighbors, and there's a special soft spot that he has for people who have soft spots, for people who aren't quite like them, who are a little different. Could God be calling you to be a neighbor to the awkward guy at work, to the obnoxious guy who lives across the street, to the one who lives down the block, who's got that cat who keeps coming into your yard and doing its business. I've got exactly that in my neighborhood. I do. I'm not making this up. A neighbor whose cat would come into my yard and love to use it as its own little kitty litter box. He did. And that very cat turned up dead on my driveway. I've told some of you this story before. And I'm not making this up. And I did not do it. I know what you're thinking. And so I had to go over to the neighbor and tell him that his cat had gone to cat heaven, hoping that uh, he wouldn't think that I had anything to do with it because I knew if he asked anybody in my congregation, they'd say I did, right? But, I mean, just looking at the cat, you could tell that there, I mean, there wasn't any sign of foul play. I was able to move its fur around to cover the t tire tracks. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I didn't run over the cat. It died of natural causes in my driveway. It seems like some sort of, it's, it seems right that the cat would choose my driveway, doesn't it? But it did, and uh, that's the way that that went down. But the whole idea of getting involved and showing mercy and being generous with your time and resources is going to lead to transformed relationships and that's really what we're after you see when we think about transforming relationships with others around us I think it might also jog in your mind another thing that we talk about all the time which is this idea of our pathway to life process you're familiar with this there are some different steps to it I think it'd be appropriate to just remind ourselves of some of these along the way and you can ask yourself where you're at with your relationships the first of those is to initiate to get involved with the neighbors that we have whether they're at work or whether they are in our neighborhood that we'd initiate with them that we'd get a relationship going because because of the isolation that happens in our neighborhoods there are many people that live very close to us that we don't know my guess is the vast majority of people who are listening right now don't know the first names of the people who live the five people who live closest to them and you're probably going through your mind, do I know, do I? That's my sense of it, because that's the way we are isolating ourselves. And we need to just begin by getting to know who the people are who are around us. You can't go deeper until you start at the beginning, and that's to initiate. And then to invest is the next step that we take, that we are willing to get connected enough to know their life, to, to do something more than just wave as we drive by but to learn a little something about them. And we've got to invest and we've got to, to talk in order to take that step and to get there, maybe to invite them over, which would be the next step. 
to invite, to initiate, to invest, to invite. Maybe it's over just for something to eat, for a little cookout. Maybe it's to invite them to a relationship with Christ or to invite them to come and experience what it is that really makes you tick deep inside. Remember, if we're going to be a great neighbor, if we're going to have uncomplicated relationships, then we need to be willing to let people see inside of us also. And a part of what is inside of you is this experience and to let them know of why that's important to you. Maybe to invite them to come with their kids and just enjoy the playland. You know how many people get connected to Pathway because of a playland? It's amazing to me. But to think down the road on, on what would be the next step with these people and then maybe to reinvest would be the last step. If you've already gone your way down those roads and, and it's time to just recycle back into it all. See, for many of us, we've been a good neighbor, but we haven't been a significant neighbor. Yes, we wave very friendly when we drive past them. We keep our grass cut. We say hello to them. We're a very nice neighbor, but we haven't been a significant neighbor because we haven't been willing to initiate and invest and invite and really take it further. And it's time we move past the surface. So I've got a challenge for you. I want you to pick... One neighbor, just one neighbor. If you're willing, three would be better, but at least one neighbor. And that you would ask yourself, where am I at in this pathway to life process with that person? And wherever you are, that you take it the next step. Maybe for you, you need to initiate. You need to learn a name. You need to learn a little something about them. It's not that hard to do. Take them a plate of cookies. Take them, it's fall, take them a pumpkin pie. Offer to help them rake some leaves, something, just so that you get that relationship underway. Initiate. Or if you've already got initiate done with this person, this family, this couple, whatever it is, then go to invest. Have them over. Maybe you gather up those five that are nearest you, have them all over. But do some investing so that you might be able to reveal some of yourself to them and learn a little something about who they are also. Key step toward being neighborly. Maybe you're already at invest and it's time to invite. It's time to take that risk. It's time to be vulnerable. Because a solid relationship we have with others, if it's going to become uncomplicated, it's going to be one that continues to move forward. Otherwise, you're standing back and there's suspicion that naturally is bread in such a situation and that's only going to lead to additional complication you need to open the doors you need to get connected you need to understand who one another are you can figure this out you can figure out the steps just don't let it going go on any longer without doing something intentional because good neighbors are intentional they get involved they show mercy they're generous And as you do so, I can promise you that relationships that have been difficult or challenging or standoffish or complicated are going to be simplified. And they're going to be blessed and you're going to be blessed at the same time. And God's going to be blessed because this is what he calls us to when he calls us to be a biblical neighbor. Heavenly Father, 
Thank you for the people who you have put around us. Thank you for those who are in proximity that we have the opportunity to impact, whose lives we have the opportunity to touch. Lord, thank you that you haven't just put us in a place to coexist around people who are near us, but to connect. Lord, you've given us a reason to connect. And I pray that we would have hearts that are willing to not just listen today and walk out the doors and leave it all here, but to take it with us. Lord, I have no doubt but that you will have circumstances for us where we'll see them this week where we have the opportunity to engage if we choose to or run the other way if we just choose to let the complication continue. But I pray that we'd be people who were willing to take the step which can be uncomfortable, that you'd give us the courage to show mercy, to be generous, and to get involved. Lord, lead us there. Give us the opportunity and the willingness to press forward, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.